if you look just a few years out, there's 1.4 million open jobs for computer science people. And there are only 400,000 computer science graduates, which means like a million people need to come from some form of alternative education. Our mission is to create opportunities, train up people with the right skills, and using our connection to Silicon Valley and the tech industry, open up doors for people that otherwise would not have access to This is episode 66 of Powder Keg Igniting Startups. I'm very excited for our first guest because he came all the way from San Francisco. He has a very impressive resume, which is why I took some notes. Uh, he is a Bay Area transplant from Atlanta and broke his way into startups there, starting from a viral blog post, uh, but also with some real savvy. He worked his way into investment banking. He is a cellist. He is a super sharp dude. I've had a chance to talk to him a few times before. Uh, he used all of that momentum breaking into startups in the Bay Area to build now over 3 million people through his social media reach. Uh, over 200,000 downloads for his podcast, Breaking Into Startups, 10,000 plus website visits per month, 100 plus reviews on iTunes, Facebook community of more than 10,000 people. He's very passionate about helping people with alternate backgrounds break into the startup community. Please help me welcome the CEO of Career Karma and the co-host of Breaking Into Startups, my man, Ruben Harris. Ruben. Cellist. How did you go from cellist to iBanker to breaking into startups in the heart of Silicon Valley? Can you, can you maybe take me back to your first inklings of, of maybe wanting to get it, getting into even the business world? Yeah, I mean, I, I think if you think about, first of all, can we give a shout out to, to Matt Powderkeg as well? <laughs> I think it's important to show a lot of love to him because uh, we were in the same article together when we first dropped our podcast. And so I'm really grateful to be here and chocolate everybody for, for everything. But um, going back to your question about business, if you think about the business world and the arts world, it's very connected, right? And uh, a lot of times you can't function one without the other. And so my cello teacher told me a lot of times as an artist, uh, you underappreciate the business side of things because you feel like you're not going to be pure. But when you achieve a certain level of success, you're forced to become your own brand as an artist, so you have to master business. And if you didn't spend time learning it when you're already hot, you get super confused. So my, my teacher actually encouraged me to focus on the business side while I'm doing the music, and then maintain my music skills and then come back to it. And so my, my sister's violin teacher, she, uh, she her, her, my sister's violin teacher's husband was in private equity, um, and he's the one who told me to do investment banking, uh, which would teach me a bunch of business skills in a short amount of time. But the problem was I went to a really small school um, with a very low GPA, it was 2.98. I didn't know anything about investment banking. Um, and when I graduated, I had no internship, so I had to like, I could tell you that whole story, but long story short, that, I like- That's crazy. I, I know, so I went to the Kelly School of Business here at Indiana University. Yeah. And I remember there was like an iBanking club. Yeah. And this was a club of the top business students who wanted to get into iBanking. Mm -hmm. And out of that club, maybe like a tenth of them actually got iBanking jobs. And these were like people that were beating the pants off of me with like their, their grades, they were in all the extracurriculars, they were like doing all the case competitions, and you're telling me you went to a school that isn't known for iBanking, and there was no club, there was no fast track, but you still got into investment banking. Yeah, and I, I think it's, it's good that we're touching on this because a lot, a lot of people don't understand how all this type of stuff happened about like, 
being an outsider to an insider. So like to get into investment banking, I actually found a blog called Mergers and Acquisitions, and they had a course that they started coming out with called Breaking into Wall Street, right? So Breaking into Wall Street, I was like, okay, so in order to become an insider, these people start when they're young. They know the game. They got their target schools. You got to do your internships. You know, you got to, you know, you do your junior internship and then you get recruited in that summer. And like, if you don't have the internship by that summer, you're not going to break into class. There's a certain timing to it. So I was like, if by the time you're in your senior year, you're going to have your offer in hand. So I have to figure out how to time it to break into a class that wasn't mine. So I had to figure out how to invent an internship for myself, which I can tell you about later. And then teach myself financial modeling, send out 1900 emails, create my own interview experiences, and then get the job. And I actually started in Chicago. And a lot of those principles that I learned from investment making is actually still what I use today to get everything that I needed after that. Uh, Midwest guy, see, I knew it a lot. Yeah, we are here. <laughs> <laughs> so talk, talk to me about that. You, you literally had to create your own course. You had to chart your own course. The first part of that is probably to like, observe the industry mm-hmm. and kind of orient yourself yeah. a little bit. How, how did you go about orienting yourself and deciding what your path was going to be? Because there wasn't anyone that said, well, you join this club, you apply to these, these schools, these are the best ones, you know, so make sure you talk to this person. Yeah. There was no one, it sounds like there was no one there kind of guiding you. Is that correct? Or did you find someone that kind of helped open the door? So my father, right? So when you, how many people here are in the job search? Anybody in the job search? Cool, there's a few people here. So, you know, a lot of people really rely on their skills. So, like, first, you got to be really good at what you do. Because, like, I knew that if somebody gave me the shot, you weren't going to be able to touch me. I knew what the 30 analysts knew, but I had to get the shot. And nobody was going to give me the shot if I applied through the website. So, the first thing that you got to do is know yourself, right? You got to really understand how to tell your story. And the way to tell your story is what's your background? What sparked your interest in this? What did you do to develop that interest? Who are you talking to today? And why are you talking to me specifically? Do you still do that to this day? To this day. Could you give me like a 30 second Ruben Harris story? I was born in California, grew up in Atlanta. I've been playing the cello since I was four years old. As you can imagine, a classical musician often come in contact with business people. And I met a private equity guy that told me that investment banking was the best place for me to go if I wanted to do investment banking. So I taught myself financial modeling crash career affairs and became an investment banker in Chicago. Did that for three years and realized that tech was going to be taking over everything. So I quit my job, bought a one-way ticket to San Francisco and realized that I needed to master tech skills. Um, worked at three different startups. I met a couple of buddies along the way when they were in banking and realized that investing investing team. They decided to be uh, software engineers. I decided to focus on distribution and CEO type of stuff. I mean, we said that we were going to work for companies for three years and then come back together. While we were working for companies to learn the game, we started a podcast to really understand the space that we wanted to get it into, built the side project until it made enough money for us to quit our job, and then we built something that's scalable, which is Career Karma, and it's where we are today. We only have one mic. Um, that, that was great, man. Um, tell me about what attracted you to startups. Um, what, what, what is it about technology? You said it, you said you know it's the future. Uh, how did you find out about that? I mean, so when I was living in Chicago, I was um, right by the Merchandise Mart where 1871 was just starting. And everybody oh, was talking about how space. it's coming up. Like, 
you know, the CEO of AT&T was actually one of our investors today. So it's like a nice little full circle moment, but like watching everything coming up, I was like, wow, what is this like technology thing? And before we actually moved to Chicago, um, cause I, so I was in Chicago, I went to Atlanta. Atlanta also had a scene coming up. We were initially thinking about starting a, um, a company in Atlanta, there was Atlanta Tech Village. I mean, every week they had like the startup child downs and there was BitPay, there was Coinbase at the time. Uh, Coinbase was this big thing. We just dropped the podcast today with the CTO, so you should check that out. Um, but what was interesting is that people kept referring to technology as something that was separate from everything else. But what I started realizing is that it was core to every single business. And if you didn't catch this wave, you were about to be hit by it because a lot of jobs were being created, but also a lot of jobs were being created, being destroyed, and it required skills that came outside of college. And then I was like, oh well, like I learned how to teach myself financial modeling, so I just need to learn how to learn and teach myself new skills. So I did some computer science courses, I like did some sales different things, and I just like figured out which role I was gonna focus on. My buddies, like when I quit, they focused on getting into coding boot camps. There were no prep courses at the time. They did Hack Reactor and App Academy, that's Archer and Timo, so shout out to them. Um, and then we just you know, decided that this is what we were gonna do. Um, and so when we realized that tech was the future and that a lot of people that outside of tech weren't aware of this, we started getting a little, we, it was important for us to sound the alarm because like the only reason I was able to get into investment banking was because I happened to discover it. This like insider thing that like gives you a lot of money and it's not like rocket science to learn. You just don't learn it in college if you, or in high school, like if you're younger, if you don't come from those types of privileged backgrounds. So I was like, okay, the 99% needs to be aware of this and they don't read TechCrunch. So we need to put this on the radio, we need to put this in XXL, we need to put this in Fader, I need to get this to celebrities, I used to throw big parties in Atlanta, so I need to get everybody talking about the same thing and then help people understand how to learn and how to navigate and then start a movement. And if you think about any movement, it starts with media. You know, Black Panthers had a newspaper. Martin Luther King had the church. Malcolm X had Muhammad Speaks. So a bunch of different things. So it was like, this is the voice box. But most media is designed to be consumed. And we were like, nah, we're about to create media that has action behind it. So when you listen to our pieces, we want you to take positive actions towards what you want to do and not just like be a passive listener. And don't just do it for yourself, do it for somebody else. And so that's how we started, and it slowly started growing, and it's what it is today. Talk to me a little bit more about, you mentioned learn how to learn. Yeah. Um, clearly are good at learning. Mm -hmm. What are some of the breakthroughs that you found in, and, and what is your process now when you're learning something new? Because you're learning something new right now, right? Like you start me as the type of person that you're always learning something mm -hmm. new. Yeah. What is your approach when learning something new? So, so to your point, so like me, my co-founders, we've never been CTO, CPO, and CEO, right? So like, I know sales. I know like business development, fundraising stuff, but I've never been a CEO with hundreds of people like behind me. And so for me, if I don't know something, I'm very comfortable finding people that know things that I don't know. And so something that I talk about in my first blog post is building a personal board of directors. 
right? So imagine who you want to become. Identify three to five people that have skills that are outside of yours and set like a monthly meeting. Like this last week, uh, actually yesterday, I had a meeting with the head of growth from Instacart, um, who was also the head of growth of Instagram, who was actually on our podcast when he was a product manager that sets up bi-weekly meetings with us to coach us on building our product because we don't know, right? And so it's very important to like align yourself with those types of things. But when people tell you to do things, take action, right? And don't come to the person with the same thing. If you, they, if you say you're gonna do something, follow up on it and deliver. If, it does, if you follow up on it and it doesn't work out, explain what you, why you think it didn't work out. And I think going back to the thing about learning how to learn, try a bunch of things and like really experiment a lot um, and surround yourself by not just good mentors and coaches, but also good peers. You know, like, so me and my co-founders, we're a peer circle. Like, we hold each other accountable. We call ourselves out on a bunch of different things. But you don't just need capital and mentors. I'm not sure if you all are in the same cohort over here, but like, if someone just got accepted into Kenzie Academy, they probably have really good insight for somebody that's not accepted into Kenzie Academy. And they could probably tell you what you need to know in order to get into Kenzie Academy versus someone that did Kenzie Academy two years ago. Because the curriculum probably changed because Kenzie's on the cutting edge and they're always giving you the best skills that are aligned with the industry, right? That's going on their home page. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you mentioned the, the, the CTO or the, the head of product um, or a head of growth at Instacart. Obviously, you met that person. Well, maybe not obviously. Did you meet that person because of the podcast? Those the initial connection? Um, I actually got connected to him through uh, my buddy Jules Walter, who's at Slack. Um, I met him before he was at Slack. He was at a company called Storefront while I was still at all school. And he asked me for advice about how to break into tech. Um, and we got really close, um, but then he became this super powerful force uh, that's like leading all the product managers everywhere. And like my superpower has always been being able to get to whoever I need to get to. Um, not in a transactional way, but like a really like homie, like we're, we're friends way. Like I want to help you as much as possible, even if I don't get anything in return, right? And so uh, pretty much everybody from the podcast has just been like inbound, like leads. Or if I don't know something, know, know anybody, I, we have enough uh, episodes in the backlog to where I could just say, hey, like, you want to be on the show? And they're like, yes, for the most part. And if not, then I'll find somebody that can get the connect. Which is an awesome asset for you to build, and it's sort of a self-perpetuating um, sort of asset. Mm -hmm. What do you do if you don't have that? Mm -hmm. Let's say I just quit the four-year degree because I needed to go back and make some money. I didn't see a clear career path with a four-year degree. Or let's say I graduated the four-year degree, but it was liberal arts major, and I, I didn't get any applicable skills, or I'm not sure if I have any applicable skills yeah. in startups. Where do I start? Uh, is there anybody here that is trying to break into tech right now? Okay, there's a few people in the room. Okay, there's a lot of people in the room. Okay, so like for the people that are trying to break into tech, you know. I think that learning how to write a cold email is extremely valuable because going through the website or applying through something that has some kind of algorithm that's filtering for a typical type of person that isn't necessarily wrong because those people have a limited amount of time 
is going to be a waste of your time because you're not going to meet their flag. You might. And even if you do, they're still going to be looking for certain types of things. So learning how to write a cold email is very important. Um, I can break that down if you want me to. But um, I would say in order to get in front of a lot of people, um, writing something that's personal, that isn't that shows that you've been paying attention to what they've been doing. So for example, like with the blog that I recently wrote, if you're gonna be reaching out to me for guidance, I hope that you, or, or to you, like I hope that they have read everything about Powder Keg. Maybe you came out with a new story about how you're expanding into a new market. Let's say it's Atlanta. And uh, are you already in Atlanta? Not yet. Okay, let's say it's Atlanta. And you say something that you really need. and. He doesn't know anything. He, he wants to get into tech, but he's from the A. And he probably knows a bunch of people in Atlanta that he could connect you to. So he's like, hey, I really love this article that you jumped out. I noticed that you were trying to get connected to these people, and I, and I really am passionate about what you're doing. Can I make intros to these people? And are you down or something like that? Either way, respect, bro. Like, keep doing your thing. You're probably going to respond to that. Absolutely. And... He's also going to get their connects later, right? Give first. I know it sounds kind sort of, of like, sort of a give first. Yeah. So like a, a, a great quote that I read when I was first moving to the Bay is, "If you want advice, ask for money. If you want money, ask for advice." Say it again. If you want advice, ask for money. If you want money, ask for advice. Right. Really be a student of the game. A lot of people out here that want to be entrepreneurs don't understand how the game works. Like, how are you going to win the game if you don't know the pieces on the board, the values of the pieces, how they move? You can't even think about strategy. I say that all the time. But it's extremely important if you're an outsider trying to be an outsider to understand how everything works. And, and networks are a very big thing. But a lot of people do approach it too transactionally. And I think that's an advantage of being from the Midwest, being from Indiana. You guys have like Midwest hospitality. We got Southern hospitality. We got the natural hustle, right? It's so, in our DNA. It's in our DNA. You know, that's why we're here. Well, speaking of connecting with good people, uh, I would love to introduce our next guest yeah, to cool. join us here on stage. Um, he is a serial entrepreneur himself, uh, worked for several Silicon Valley startups, uh, started his own company as the chairman of Agility IO. He's now the co-founder and CEO of Kinsey Academy. Please help me welcome to the stage, Chuck Oi. Thanks for being here, man. Thanks, thanks for having me. How did you get connected with Ruben, and, and how did this all come to be? Um, I, I, it's weird. You know, one day there's this tweet from Ruben. It's like, hey, I heard you guys are doing good things over at Kinsey. I was like, who is this guy? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I responded, and then uh, I clicked on his name, and I was like, dang, this guy got a lot of followers. <laughs> and uh, then I started looking at the things that he's doing, and, you know, he's like, you know, it's like really, really noble helping people, giving people opportunities, and our mission is very aligned. Yeah. You so, know, can you I'll, tell I'll, me a little bit about the mission at Kinsey? Uh, our mission is to uh, create opportunities, um, uh, train up people with the right skills, and using our connection to Silicon Valley, to the tech industry, open up doors for people that otherwise would not have access and opportunities. Because I'm an immigrant from Malaysia, I came here with two suitcases, I knew nobody here, and this country has given me so much that we want to give back. And 
I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for so many people uh, in the past that have opened all different kinds of doors for me. I don't know if I know your full story. How did you break into startups? <laughs> um, so I, uh, I live in India. Indiana. India was the first American city I ever stepped foot on. Went to IUPUI for two years, but I always wanted to work for tech, but there were no companies back then hiring. Like, you guys are lucky today. There's so many tech companies. Mm -hmm. And back then, uh, the only options was Eli Lilly, Cummins, and all these companies. I was like, I don't want to work for a tractor. <laughs> um, so I, 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 I unfortunately had to leave. So I, I, I you know, um, you know, but coming from a third world country, you know, like our, we went through a financial crisis. So our currency was devalued significantly. I can't afford any of the schools in California anywhere. So I looked at one of the most affordable public schools near one of the tech hubs, and Austin was one of the tech hubs back then. So I applied, transferred to Austin. But little did I know, this was uh, back in uh, uh, you know two thousand one. As I was going there, the tech industry crashed after Silicon Valley. Bad timing. Yeah. So I did a detour uh, after school. I, I got hired uh, uh, by Wall Street. Uh, so I was a technologist at Wall Street. Uh, so I spent seven years at Wall Street. And then the best thing that happened to me was the crash of 2008. Lost my job at Goldman Sachs. Had another offer from a French bank right away, but uh, also had an offer from a startup called Loot, mm -hmm. uh, run by this young guy named Sam Allen back then. Raised a lot of money when he was 19. Uh, and uh, decided to take a 50% pay cut uh, and move to the valley. It was crazy because all, it was, this was before, you know, if you think about it, this was before Facebook IPO and all that. It wasn't sexy to be in startups. All my banking friends were like, what are you thinking? What's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> but in my gut feeling, I was like, you know, the go-go days of Wall Street was over. And, uh, you know, I felt like, you know, I made a lot of money as a young analyst at Wall Street, but I created zero value for the world. And I was like, I want to try to go to a space where I can build something that I can be proud of, I can, my kids could be proud of me. So I took that risk and went there. And that's how I got into startups. That's so cool. Yeah. And why, why would you tell people today who maybe aren't in tech or aren't in startups, why would you tell them that this is the place to continue their next step in their career. Well, as you guys and uh, you and Ruben uh, alluded to earlier, we are going through a major, uh, major shift in the economy. We're going, uh, we're, we're, we're going from an industrial age to a digital age. And every company uh, going forward has to be a tech company. If not, you are a dinosaur. You're going to be dead very quickly. Um, and therefore, uh, you know, just like you know, the, 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 the industrial age where the Rockefellers and all made their money, just look at how, how long it took for the Rockefellers to accumulate their wealth, and look at how fast people like Mark Zuckerberg and, and all these other people made their money. Um, and we're still at the early innings of it. And like you said, you know, tech is going and disrupting one industry at a time, multiple industries in parallel. And there's, you know, if you really want to talk about the economy and the jobs and the opportunities of the future, if you don't want to go hungry for the next 30, 40 years, until machines learn how to code themselves, this is, this is the place to be. You know, you, by being in tech, you become the disruptor versus being in other older industries, other roles where if your job involves any form of repetitive work, you, it will be auto, automated away. It's just a matter of time. So you know, let's get ahead of the curve. Be the one doing the automation and the disruption versus the one being disrupted. Well, it seems like these traditional paths of career on-ramps into tech aren't providing the talent fast enough. 
what are you seeing on the ground at Kinsey? And I want to hear what you're seeing on the ground at, at Career Karma as well. Um, so basically, um, you know, we, we have a, a pipeline problem, right? There is no shortage of talent. Uh, this company called Dell and Africa say that, you know, it's like talent is evenly distributed, but opportunity is not. And as of right now, most tech hiring, uh, but that's starting to change. Prior to that, you know, all these companies pride themselves, Google and all, we hire from the top 10 schools. And to get a top 10 school, chances are you have to come from a privileged background. Um, and for there's so many there's there's so many other talent out there that don't have the same privilege, but they could be as good if not better than people who've gone to the school just because someone never showed them the right path to get to where they need to be. So what from Kenzie's perspective, what we want to do is create a new pipeline for tech, going after what we call the untapped talent. Uh, you're looking at a lot of them right here. You know? yeah. Uh, this, uh, our, our students here, they have great potential. Uh, we know it because they, they survive our tech interviews. Uh, and and uh, we know that they have potential to do great things. But uh, for many of them, either they never considered it or someone, there, there was never an older brother or father or uncle or uh, aunt saying, you should do this. And now we are trying to you know, train them up and give them an opportunity. But we want to give them an unfair advantage that many college students don't have. And the unfair advantage is if you go to regular college, you know, you, the career center would maybe teach you how to write your resume and say, go apply. And then you spam you know, thousands of companies and pray to God that someone will pick up your resume and give you a job interview. And then there'll be like 50 other people competing for one or two positions open. Um, because of our connection to tech, uh, I know many of the CEOs personally, they're hiring. Uh, extensively. So all we're doing is, you know, CEO to CEO to say, here are the people that uh, I would vet for myself. And they cut through all the red tapes and they talk to the right people. Uh, one example is, uh, you know, uh, 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 some of our advanced students. Um, we sent, uh, there's a company uh, here in town that I think, uh, if I remember the sets correctly, they hire about uh, uh, three to five percent of the candidate pool. Um, we sent four of our students, they hired three out of four. Wow. Um, three out of four is amazing. That's yeah. awesome. Yep. Yeah. And we hope that uh, it's not an anomaly. You know, yeah. We're going to show over and over again that you know, uh, what we're doing is teaching people the right things and with the right connection, giving them the unfair advantage so that they can access a lot of the jobs while other people are still lining up in front of the front door trying to get in. All we ask is our students, uh, as long as you work hard, you really bust your butt, um, and you have good work ethic, we will make the connections happen for you. Yeah, that's really cool. Well, Ruben, you've, you've had so many stories. I've heard many of them on your podcast. I haven't listened to every episode yet, uh, but you've had some amazing stories. What's one of your favorites of, of someone's story of breaking into, uh, breaking into startups? And, and what was their kind of secret sauce? Um, I really like Iris Nevin's story. Um, she talks a lot about the formula. She was a, a teacher and, and a social justice organizer um, that's now a software engineer. That was trying, I think for a lot of people that are outside of tech trying to break into tech, they suffer from a few things. Um, number one, information overload, right? So like you have so many options to learn how to code um, online and offline. It's difficult to figure out which one is best for you because every program says that they're the best, right? Um, also time. Like, 
how do you like manage your time in order to get that skill, right? Financial resources is another issue that you got to figure out. And so like people like Iris was able to boil everything down into a formula. But if you're someone like everybody that's here in the room that's trying to get in is blessed because you all have each other. A lot of people, if you're in the middle of nowhere trying to learn how to code, it's very isolating because you don't know anybody else. And if you think about learning a new skill, it's very similar to like learning a new language, like or, or trying to like accomplish like something very like getting a six pack in the gym, right? And so doing that, you know what you have to do, but you have to be very consistent. So what Iris was able to do was not just lay out the formula, but surround herself by the right people. And she listened to all the podcasts, she took notes, she reached out to every single person to start building out her network and start figuring out how to leverage the, the people on the podcast to get housing, to get scholarships, to do the job search, to raise crowdsource raising money when she ran out of money and then she got the job. So I think that um, a lot of what we do with Career Karma is help people figure out which program is best to them. We put them into peer circles. We tell them about programs like Kenzie that have outcomes because a lot of people will say that they have outcomes, but they actually don't. Um, like three out of four, you said, it's like yeah. ridiculous, right? So amazing. And so like, I think it's important for us to be aligned with that. But then once you know what the path is, like it's important to be able to be held accountable to that path to get there to the other side and then uh, elevate that story so people can be inspired by Iris. So like now that Iris story is out, we have hundreds of teachers coming to us asking how to become software engineers. And literally when you saw me back there, I was talking to one from Las Vegas. That's awesome. Gr growing the network, and you're learning a lot about these academies too, right? Mm -hmm. uh, as well as talking to a lot of the, the people in your community. When you talk to them, what are some of the things that you coach them on to really pay attention to? Like what um, factors are most important? Is it culture? Is it placement rates? Is it tuition fees? Is it education style? I think um, starting off with the outcomes again, I think it's very important sure. because like every program is going to have their unique teaching style um, and their different curriculums. Um, but I think like learning, understanding their outcomes and how you learn because like a program that has like a high stress environment where you have assessments every week and if you don't pass them and you'll be kicked out is helpful for people like me, but not helpful for people like my brother, even though my brother did. Um, because it's very like very stressful. So like figuring out what's your best style. Are you visual? Are you audio? Are you hands-on? Um, finding a program that is comfortable for your financial situation. So like when boot camps first came out, it was just tuition up front or student loans, just like typical things. Then some innovations came out where you can have money back guarantees. Now you have cool things like what Chuck's doing with uh, the the income share agreements. Um, and then you also have, uh, you all are doing something that I haven't ever seen, which is the earn while you learn model. Um, and some, some programs are, are implementing certain things like that. Um, but I, I really like the way that he's approaching it. But I think that um, if you're trying to figure out which program you want to go to, I think seeing how many people have been placed in the types of companies that you want to work out. Like he said, he didn't want to work for a tractor company. Like, where do you want to work? What problems do you want to solve? Like, who do you want to be around? And then like align yourself with organizations like that. Talk to them before going to the program and break in. So it's sort of a reverse engineering. Yeah. Um, that, that earn while you learn and sort of income share, it sounds pretty innovative. Chuck, do you mind maybe telling us a little bit about what those programs are? Yeah, and to give you a little context about it, uh, you know, uh, we, when we start Kenzie, we didn't want to be in that boot camp. 
there's so many bootcamp models, it's like, you know, it's just they copy each other and then let's launch another city. And what we want to do is really reimagine what higher ed is. And we, we design the higher ed experience around the students versus around the school. Um, and, and what we really care about at our core at Kenzie is diversity. Diversity of geography, diversity of uh, race, opportunity, uh, background, uh, gender, everything. And how do we design a program that will be inclusive and make it uh, remove barriers so that we could achieve true diversity instead of just paying lip service to diversity? And, and that's why when we designed the Kenzie program, uh, we, we designed it in such a way that we allow people from uh, different levels of uh, coding backgrounds uh, or, or, uh, to, to, to come in and learn and be successful. We teach a lot of the soft skills, we call it the power skills. Because you know, if you don't come from a, 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 a you know family that's been in professional settings, or a lot of our students are never going to have a, a higher education experiences, um, sometimes uh, some of the skills like you take for granted. Some people that come from a different background may not even realize how important it is. So we teach those skills as well. And then most importantly, a lot of our students uh, you know have the capacity, but they, they they just cannot afford to not earn a paycheck while they go to school. And if you look at all our competitors, these are designed by um, you know, a, lot of, a lot of white men, Asian men uh, that runs a lot of these boot camps. They think that, hey, if I can do it, uh, you know, so can you. You just have to you know, bust your butt. But they don't realize that uh, a lot of people have very little disadvantages and different, you know, um, you know, different barriers that then to overcome. So um, the way we think about it is, you know, what are the barriers? And one of it is definitely like you need the ability to earn something while you go to school so that you can have the means to get the financial stress out of the picture and focus on learning the best you can, then you can get yourself up to the next level uh, of jobs. So the earn and learn model was designed specifically to target it. Um, uh, as you get enrolled in McKenzie, uh, you, uh, you have an opportunity to access a, a job that pays uh, a well above minimum wage, uh, doing tech support for a pretty prominent tech company, which we're not allowed to name. Um, and uh, you know, uh, making a wage and the, the the work is flexible. You can work from home. It's designed around the Kenzie schedule, versus a traditional. You know, you go to college. If you need a part time job, you have to try so hard to find a job that fits your school schedule. This this work is designed specifically around your school schedule, and not only that. Uh, while the the company is paying you, and this is through our partnership with Teleconnect Tele Services, which is one of our investors. Uh, while uh, you're making an income, they're, they're paying you and also training you a lot of the customer service, the troubleshooting, the debugging skill. That will be very critical for eventually our students who are going to be developers and designers. That's so cool. Yeah. Well, and it, it, it provides more opportunities. It provides more potential for diversity to happen. Yep. You mentioned diversity being important, and obviously that's the right thing to do from a humanitarian standpoint. But what is the business purpose of diversity? What are some of the benefits that you see as an academy and that some of the employers uh, who care about diversity are seeing by being intentional about that? I'm not even thinking of it as a humanitarian thing. If you look at how bad tech hiring is, ask any tech CEO, you guys included, yep. how hard it is to hire good engineers, good technologists, because the pipeline is too small. And what we're essentially doing is leveling the playing field so that we can have so many people in this country who wants a career in tech. Uh, now they have equal opportunity as someone from privilege who came out of Stanford, Purdue, wherever it is, equal chance as those people to access the same high paying jobs. 
uh, it makes total business sense so that we increase the pipeline so that companies now have access to more talent um, so that they have the ability to grow uh, without being constrained because they can't hire that developer. They need to make stuff happen. And diversity of geography is important. We all know how crazy it is to live in Silicon Valley right now. Ruben can attest that. I, I moved from San Francisco. I know how expensive my tiny apartment is. <laughs> uh, if you make six figures today in San Francisco, you are below the, the poverty line. You know, it is no longer sustainable for many companies to continue to operate purely in, Silic uh, in Silicon Valley and also to some extent New York, Boston, all those areas. Uh, where we see is there will be a lot more companies either moving HQ2s to uh, the heartland or more companies like Polycag that's coming out of the heartland. The next Facebook does not necessarily come from Silicon Valley anymore. It could come from Ohio, it could come from Detroit, Michigan, here in Indianapolis. Um, the, really, the playing field is being leveled here. And what we really need is to train up. Uh, the biggest challenge for a lot of the cities is the, the, the talent pipeline is too small. And, and you know, if you look at why you know, Indianapolis uh, you know, wasn't chosen for Amazon, but also didn't even get some of the small thing is if, if Amazon decides to op open up a small center with 5,000 jobs here, we're going to have a hard time filling those tech jobs. So we yeah, want to... I'm a little bit glad they didn't pick it. <laughs> Just selfishly. Yep. Uh, I know it would be good for Indy, so of course I was rooting for them to get it. But your property prices would go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but the, the, the whole part is, uh, you know, we need to train more talent. And when you have this pool of talent, your, your communities, your cities around the heartland now becomes extremely attractive for companies to relocate here, but also to get started here and grow here. Ruben, what are you hearing from some of the companies in Silicon Valley um, in terms of how they're looking to grow their pipeline and how they're looking to diversify? Are you seeing a lot of these companies start uh, new offices in, in the heartland? Are you uh, seeing a lot of more people still coming into the valley as they were maybe when you first uh, went there? I mean, there's a lot. I, I see a lot of people tweeting like remote work is the future of work. Some people are even saying remote work is the future of affordable housing. Um, there's companies like Envision that are completely remote, GitLab that's completely remote. Um, and I think that's a very uh, big opportunity uh, to save costs. Um, I think to touch on what he brought up around pipeline, I think it's important to address because if you think about four-year universities and tar target schools, they're only graduating 50,000 people a year, right? And if you look just a few years out, there's 1.4 million open jobs for computer science people. And there's only 400,000 computer science grad, which means like a million people need to come from some form of alternative education. And if you think about our market, it's like the 24 million people on Solo Learn, the like millions of people on Code Academy and all these other places, Treehouse, Free Code Camp, that like girls who code, women who code, black girls code, like they have some exposure, but not the depth in order to break all the way in. But going back to what you said about the companies, like the companies are spending billions of dollars to reach people outside of tech, organizing events with people that are already in tech, when it should be full of people outside of tech with action items around what they need to do in order to get depth in order to break in. And there are some companies that are doing that, but I would say the majority are still kind of like doing the same things that they've always done. Um, I do like things like um, Triple Byte and Hired. So like if you do have skills, you're able to leverage tools like Triple Byte um, to you know, see where you are and start understanding you know, whether you can be competitive in the market. Um, even though I don't always agree with like people determining my value, 
Um, like you should know you have value or not, like know where you're weak and where you're strong. Um, but once you understand that and you learn how to get your first jobs, you're able to like start pushing you up. So I think some companies are, are, are starting to take action leveraging tools like that. Um, but overall, to be honest with you, I think I don't, I'm not seeing that much innovation in that regard. And I think that for us, when it comes to trying to get the people that are on the outside to become insiders, um, if they want that type of uh, resource, we spend maybe 10 to 20% of our efforts on top-down efforts, but the majority of ours on a grassroots bottoms-up effort, which is why I'm here. <laughs> yeah, Get on the plane. On in the pavement. Yeah. Well, it's good to have you here. And I'm so glad we're, we're tapping into some of this knowledge because understanding how to break in, there are some really key pieces. And you outlined a lot of them in that very first blog post. Uh, but what, what are some of like your biggest pieces of advice or most often repeated pieces of advice for someone looking to break into tech, break into startups? You know, you, you mentioned find a mentor, create a personal board of advisors. Um, if you get advice, uh, take it mm -hmm. and re report back. Mm -hmm. What are some of the, the other things, though? Uh, you know, maybe maybe even some of the softer skills. How do you conduct yourself? How do you um, how do you say hello to somebody? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure how detailed you, you get into any of that, and I'm sure Kenzie Academy has some some programming around that as well. I mean, I think it's easy to get attracted to technology because of the money. I mean, you see like billion dollar this, billion dollar that, million dollar this, million dollar that, six figure this, six figure that. But if you're getting into something just for the money, like money is a means, it's not an end, right? So why do you want to learn how to code? Why do you want to get in sales? Why do you want to design? How do you plan on using these new superpowers, right? How does it help you accomplish what you feel that you are meant to do. Start by knowing what do you feel you are meant to do? What are you strong in? What are you weak in? I highly encourage people to focus on things that they aren't strong in to develop new skills because there is no job security anymore, right? The half-life to any skill is maybe one to two years. You gotta learn something new, which is why it's important to learn how to learn. So I'll say the first thing is again, knowing who you are, what do you feel that you are meant to do identify your strengths and weaknesses, and then around the, the once you've decided on the path and you surround, you create your board, like create a daily routine, you know, like mindset, I, I would say, I, I, I put this up before I came here, it's like spiritual strength, you know, mental strength, emotional strength, physical strength, extremely important in that order, at least for me, because a lot of people's blocks, including people that come from privileged backgrounds, are mental, right? And people have imposter syndrome, no matter who they are. And it's not just imposter syndrome, it's just like trauma. You know, a big reason why a lot of, uh, we, we did an interview with the CEO of Torch that we haven't dropped yet, uh, which is a coaching platform for uh, executives. And something that he talked about is like, a big reason why CEOs are so good, because a lot of them have been through trauma. And when you've been through traumas, like you've been able to, you've been the person that everybody relies on to take care of things. But part of the reason why you need therapy is because you've been through trauma, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so like a lot of people that are from the outside have been through similar type of situations. And so um, making sure that you aren't always heads down doing the same thing every day. So like for me, I always make sure it's sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, 
is the Sabbath for me. So it's important for me to break the routine, right? And balance out. Because if you're stuck in muck, you only see muck. But if you manage to float above it, you still see muck, but you see it from a different perspective, right? It's like if you two are playing chess and you don't know what move to make, she might come up and be like, checkmate. Because she saw it from a whole different perspective, right? So it's very important to look at all the angles. Because the same type of thing, if you're, deep, if you're working on a problem that you're trying to solve as an engineer for hours, you got to go to sleep. Wake up the next day, you see it with fresh eyes, and you're going to debug it probably, you know? And so I think that making sure you, you have a daily routine and balance, because if you're not doing it consistently, you're not going to make any type of progress. Making sure that you have the balance, making sure that you're always making time to learn. Because even though you have your mentors, like, read books. I think reading books, whether it's physical books or audio books, is one of the biggest life hacks you could ever do. I'm trying to get back into that habit right now. Right now, I'm very big about podcasts like Powder Keg, right? But also just like really like take advantage of the years of knowledge someone has condensed into an hour for you that accelerate your life and save you time because that is the most valuable resource. Your time. Don't waste it. It's running all the time. That's so. great advice. I love that. I love that. What's your, what's your favorite book you've read lately? The most recent book that I've read is called Black Swan. Um, and Black Swan essentially is highlighting that history is essentially a handful of events that were unpredictable, that were massive, that everybody tries to rationalize after the fact. So like Uber, oh yeah, hell yeah, I could have invented that. Facebook, oh yeah, yeah, easy. Like, what up? Instagram, so on and so forth. But like, in order to come up with something that's history changing, you have to focus on the anti-knowledge. Um, this is a controversial figure, but Peter Thiel, read like what he says about competition is for losers, right? For example, like we are in the staffing or recruiting workforce development space. Everybody focus is on the people that are already going to get jobs. And they care less about the people that are more marginalized to get in, but that's most people. So focus on them, solve their problems with zero competition, create your own lane, create escape velocity, and then once that becomes the new wave, everybody's gonna be like, oh yeah, I knew that, but now you didn't, <laughs> right? Now the tie has turned, right? So with, with Career Karma, you know, like we're really focused on like, kind of being like the college admissions for coding bootcamps to like kind of help people navigate their decisions to where they want to go in an unbiased way. And once we become that single point of contact, when people are trying to make a decision about where they want to go, we want to help double and triple the market, which is why we sit down and talk to people like Chuck about what are the biggest needs, what can we do, talk to people like you who have ecosystems across the nation and figure out what we need to do in order to like level everybody up. So that's it. I love it, man. Uh, what are some of those things, Chuck, that whether you're talking to someone from outside of tech or you're even talking to somebody that maybe went through a four-year university but they're looking for a little more applied knowledge, uh, what are some of those things that you teach most often to your students that are maybe a little bit more of the softer skills? Network, network, network. You have no idea how valuable that is. I, I, I wish someone told me that the first 10 years of my career. <laughs> I would have made a huge difference. Um, you know, it's uh, you can be very good at what you do, uh, but if you don't go network, 
uh, you don't get the next door, an opportunity open for you. On the flip side, if you're a super networker, but you're, you, you really suck at what you do, <laughs> you may get the first opportunity, and you can probably BS your way into the second one, but very quickly, it's a small community, people know. Um, so uh, two things I tell students, network, build connection, and then be reliable. When people open doors for you and you prove yourself, then automatically five other doors will be there for you to choose. And from that five door, you're gonna have the next 20 doors. It is a very powerful tool. And you know, I, I really like what Ruben said, you, know, you network, you don't make it transactional. Uh, either start by gifting, or start by how can I add value? It's, it's not a zero-sum game. It, you need, you know, um, you, it needs to go both ways. Um, you know, you want help, you provide help. And never expect anything in return. Uh, I've always done that, you know, um, I've, I've helped so many people, and when I need help, naturally those people will just come and offer it without, without me begging for it. Uh, can I say one more thing? Please do. Um, so something else that like, we talk a lot about often is, is personal brand, right? And so like if you, and if you think about people that aren't in Silicon Valley or that aren't privileged, privileged, whatever, like people have experienced different problems throughout their life. And when you are building your portfolio, when you're first starting to learn, it is helpful to, yes, clone like a popular website like Pinterest or whatever. No shade to that. But can you start using your new skills to solve your own problems in your life? and build a portfolio that's aligned with the problems that you've experienced. Like maybe you're a musician and you are building something to help you do something that, does, that doesn't exist on the market. Or maybe you are in healthcare or you're, you've suffered from a certain rare condition that a niche community has in the world, but it costs them hundreds of thousands of dollars to treat. And you've done something that like helps them address that. And then whenever you're done, you might be a junior developer, but you have unique knowledge about that and a product that you could point to that will make them want to hire you at somewhere like an elaborate, right? Skills plus creativity. Skills plus creativity. And like talk about it. Like there's a book called Brad um, that I think is a good book to check out that I think it's important to understand because people that aren't naturally comfortable talking about their work because they feel that it's arrogant um, don't recognize that there's so much noise out here that you have to, like, if people Google your name, you should know what it is, what's going to pop up. And if you don't like what you see, figure out how to fix it, right? Get your stuff to pop up the most. So I think like really thinking deeply about what you want your personal brand to represent, the problems that you want to solve, the companies that you're aligned with, because again, going back to your time, aligning yourself with the right companies is very important. It's like you're investing something way more important than money, which is your life, right? And what you do there is going to resonate and echo and attorney, quote gladiator. Let's end on a gladiator quote. I appreciate both of you for sharing your story here. I could go on for hours talking to each of you. I'm sure we'll have a follow-up episode here at some point. Uh, but I just want to say thanks again to Chalk and Ruben for being here tonight, sharing their expertise. Can we give it up for both of our guests? Thank you.
to our friends on Facebook Live. Please make sure you drop some comments. If you have questions, drop comments below. Um, but share this as well. If, you, if there's someone who isn't in tech but wants to break in or wants to get into startups or start their own startup, share this video with them because there's a lot of knowledge here and a great way to ramp on. Make sure you're checking out Career Cargo. Make sure you're checking out Kinsey Academy. Thanks so much.